a friend of mine had said to me that he thought that I should make a, a voice only album. And, and this was years ago, it was like probably 2019, 2018. Um, he's like, you should make a voice only album. He's like, there aren't people who are doing that in the experimental scene and you're actually a singer. So th that could be really interesting. And kind of shelved that idea and then um yeah as I ran into this issue I was like I have to get rid of everything and I just like purged everything I, I sold all my my modular stuff I sold a bunch of gear I sold all my records too at that time it just it, it forced me to become a better producer because then I, I wasn't relying upon all these um different tools or, or sound sources to, to kind of like make a cool effect I'd have to be like okay I kind of want to make something that sounds like a bass synth <clears throat> or like a hi-hat. So like, how do I do that with my voice? Um, and, and so I'd have to like, I'd kind of like research things or like, I, I don't know, try to go into like forums and be like, okay, like what things would I manipulate? Didn't get a lot of like help that way, but so it was just a lot of experimentation to just be like, okay, like, let's see, let's see. And, and I had a lot of tools already and, um, and then, you know, ended, ended up working out pretty well. So, and, and sometimes it wasn't that explicit either where I was like, oh, I'm trying to like emulate an instrument. I like, but there were times where it was, but, um, you know, by and large, it, it was more like, no, I just need something in this range. And um, I needed to be more textural or I needed to be more like, you know, beautiful or clear. Um, so, but yeah, there, there were times where I was like, I want this to sound like a snare or whatever. <laughs> and mm -hmm. how do I do that with, with my voice? So, so yeah, it really did. Um, it pushed me and to evolve as a producer. I can't be on the record saying anything. What's that sound? Hey, wanna hear the most annoying sound in the world? Proposition sounds intriguing. Proposition sounds very attractive. Still give up the proposition. I tell you it's a thoroughly sound proposition. Seems a sound proposition what brought you here. Sound is the protagonist. Uh, so, yeah. Um, my name is Megan Mitchell. I perform music under the name Cruel Diagonals, and I'm also a multimedia artist under that title, making video art and visual art, and I live in Pasadena, California. Well, frankly, I feel like I've actually had quite a difficult time in integrating into the LA scene um, for whatever reason. Uh, I think it's less uh, dark leaning Correct. in terms of the style of music here. There's a lot of um, night. And so, yeah, I think like to your point, it kind of makes sense that uh, the, my style of music, like I, I felt as though it, it did kind of represent the <laughs> it did represent like the Seattle scene in, in a way in terms of like I mean it, 
it was very much like a techno scene there going on. Um, but we also had like Decibel Festival at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was bringing in all these international artists and, and there was some Strata Festival, which is also bringing in international artists like um, Mika Vainio played. Um, and, and I was part of that festival and, um, y- you know, so I was just being exposed to more of the kind of like dark left field music, mm-hmm. um, in Seattle. And I, I felt like there, there's definitely more of an appetite for it there, uh, than there is here. So, um, not to just like brush with too broad of a stroke and just be like, well, it's because there's sun here, you know, like, <laughs> I don't, I don't necessarily think it's completely that. I think it's also just very tied up in the culture of LA, which is like, I've spoken about this before, but it's, it's just like, there's uh, the, the wellness industry here mm-hmm. is, is so prevalent and there's uh, an intertwining of the wellness and, and the ambient new age kind of scenes that, um, you know, like I'm not, I'm not a fan of, frankly. And, and I think like a lot of the, a lot of the curation like tends to be like kind of you know the new age wellness centric kind of curation so it, it just doesn't really i'm not going you're not going to see me performing my like super intense like dark noisy music like outside like under, under a tree, tree. <laughs> while people are like on blankets with their dogs like everyone's gonna be like what the fuck you know so it's just <laughs> it's just not like a great fit Mm-hmm. in that way um so it's actually really hard for me to play here and um so yeah it's been kind of challenging in that regard and and anytime i go back to the northwest it's like people show up it's well attended like people are attentive and um so yeah you know it's it's been a little bit funky for me um to, to live here and, and to be doing the type of music that i'm making Yeah, no, I have had like a few different iterations of my musical uh, composition career. Uh, although I, you know, the the first couple of attempts were pretty like, um, you know, naive in, in terms mm-hmm. of like, I was, I was very young when I was doing it and didn't really like necessarily have like a vision or a cohesive aesthetic or anything of that nature. and. Um, uh, you know, cause I was like 15, 16. And then like the next time I was like 20. And so I, I was just like, um, I, I made like kind of like dark folk music for a while. Um, so I, it's not as though like cruel diagonals came out of nowhere, but it very much was like, uh, an amalgamation and, and kind of like a, an accumulation of all of the experiences I had had in the experimental scene in the years prior to that. And because I had really, truly been involved in pretty much like every aspect (laughs) of the scene. And I guess to the extent where I was kind of just quietly like a little bit like hanging in the background. And then like when I started putting things out and when I started singing again, um, all of my Seattle friends were just like, dude, I didn't even know that you could do this. And I was like, yeah, surprise. Um, (laughs) I've just been quietly like, 
scheming of like what it is I want to sound like and doing a lot of research and going to a lot of shows and talking to artists and DJing and doing field recording and um, really just like trying to understand how the records that I loved so much were being made and um, so yeah it was a lot of like quiet research years in there in my early 20s. Uh, I, I was involved in, in the music department. So like I, I would sometimes have like a jazz band backing me or, or something like mm -hmm. that. But yeah, no, I wasn't like writing songs with a band or anything of that nature. I've, I've still never done that. I mean, I've contributed um, vocals to a record for a band, um, mm -hmm. but they live in Greece. So I've never even met them. But um, <laughs> You know, so yeah, no, I've never had that type of experience really. I, I've done, um, I did a collaboration with my friend John Carr uh, a couple years ago, but uh, that's, yeah, so that's the closest thing I've gotten to, <laughs> to that type of thing. Yeah, I mean, I just like, I got into this whole, you know, I did the college radio thing. I was a mm -hmm. DJ for three years. I was a music director for three years. Um, and this is in Seattle, Tacoma. Okay. Um, yeah, that was where I did my undergrad. Seattle, I went to grad school. But um, yeah, so I just really kind of got interest. I was really into post punk and no wave and kraut rock, and and then like through kraut rock was like oh, and then like Brian Eno exists and. Um, you know, cluster and like this collaboration and, and that started really resonating with me and like Klaus Schulze and like, um, you know, like uh, Asmus Titchens in particular, like uh, that kind of like era of German music um, where I was just like, wow, this stuff really is doing it for me. And, and Faust and um, I was a real, real big Faust uh fangirl and uh but this is when I was like 19 20 you know and uh most of my peers were not like interested in that type of music so like um so I mean that's part of it too is like I, I think I had this like kind of like old dude on discogs type <laughs> of music taste you know <laughs> like and so I ended up being friends with a lot of those people, but um, not a lot of my peers were like shared those interests. So I think that may explain a little bit like why I kind of went into this like siloed world of my own creation. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, and, and I was also just kind of like not not really sure if it made sense for me to incorporate my like classically trained voice into that type of music and I wasn't really hearing that happening like you know with the exception of maybe like Diamanda Galas who is like I mean so different from what I do but it's funny that people compare me to her mm -hmm. <laughs> because I think they're just like we don't know who else to compare you to but um you know what she's doing is so so very different but um yeah she's in her own lane which is actually a huge compliment that that there is that comparison, but I'm yeah. also like, but we couldn't be more different either. So, but yeah, so I think like, uh, I became just very interested in, in that world of experimental electronic music. And, um, and I, I really, really got into Demdike Stare in particular, mm -hmm. like they, they were my favorite, 
um, act um, for many years. There's and and they still I still think they're just fantastic. And and then you know got really into the Modern Love label and and the Andy Andy Scott record Luxury Problems. Like that definitely like opened my mind in terms of what types of sounds I wanted to be making and. And then, like, I, of course, I discovered like Techno Animal and like Porter Rick's records that I was like, oh, he's just clearly like ripping directly from these, and and I love those yeah. records too. And yeah, just you know, went down all the all the YouTube um, rabbit holes basically, and got into record collecting, and got really into uh, Luke Ferrari and Eliane Rodigue and Laurie Spiegel, and uh, yeah, so those were kind of like. Uh, big influences and, and oh and this artist um ann gillis um who's kind of like an industrial like noise artist and 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 you know like i'm a feminist too and I, and I started just being like i need to like actually know about more women um who are making experimental music and that was kind of like you know opened up a new path for me and paulina Oliveros obviously and those all kind of like sculpted my my sonic palette and and the idea of like what I wanted to be making. And, and I knew that I, it, it just is natural for me to like make like very dark music and, mm-hmm. um, and to listen to very dark music. And so, you know, I figured it would, it would be in that domain. That's just what feels natural to me. So here we are, you know, a few different iterations later, but. I want to ask about Pauline Oliveros' influence. My composition process is, is a nod to the early tape music, for sure, mm-hmm. which she was obviously um, hugely, uh, hugely, uh, you know, developed that, that sound uh, in terms of like the West Coast iteration of that sound. And uh, so I think I, I absolutely draw from that where it's like I'm taking these kind of like slices of things so you're right it's like maybe I'll perform something in a linear fashion but then the way that it's arranged is very much like not Mm -hmm. (laughs) um where I'll just be like ooh, like even like just a microsecond of something like I'll grab that and I'll I'll do something with that and and turn it into a flourish or um a rhythmic element or or something of that nature so um I think uh, yeah like yeah, obviously people like Delia Derbyshire and, and, and her and um, that that was like the world that I was immersed in at the time and, and I think uh, certainly I, I don't know if I would say like terribly overtly or intentionally impacted or, or, or that I was thinking about it in a, a, such a direct sense you know where I was like I want to do this but I mean yeah it absolutely just like infiltrated um, the way that I thought about composition. Um, I also, in grad school, I worked in um, an ethnomusicology archive for a summer, and um, I was doing a lot of work with reel to reels and splicing and repairing and right. digitization. And, um, and yeah, so I, I mean, it, it definitely, um, there were little seeds that were being planted there in terms of like what that might look like. Um, in a composition, compositional sense. And so you started many, many women. Yeah, so it was actually just sort of serendipitous. I 
it, it coincided with that uh, that time where I was just like trying to understand and do more research into that. And um, it was actually um, a curator in Seattle. Um, his name's Steve Peters. He's also a musician. And I was kind of like um, apprenticing under him for uh, a time at the space that he runs called the Chapel Space. And um, he started it because he was was curating a lot of experimental musicians and um, a lot of times like people would come to him in the community and they would say like hey I'm trying to curate a bill but like I don't know any women who make this type of music and he was like what are you talking about and like I think he just got so fed up with it that he just started listing them and started like providing like links to their music and um, so he started it and then um he was just kind of like asking people to submit things. And I was like, Hey, and I just like sent him like a huge long list of people that I had researched. And he was like, why don't you just run this? And so he just handed it like within like 30 days of starting it, he like handed it over to me and was like, I, I think you should run this instead. So I did for five years and, um, you know, it, it came in fits and starts in terms of like when I would actually get around to updating it. But, um, you know, eventually I just got too busy and, and um, this woman who works for, God, I can't remember the name now, uh, some sort of women's composer alliance um, offered to take it over. So so now it's it's in their um, management. Uh, but yeah, so that was, I, I met a lot of people that way as well. I got connected with, with other women in, in the scene, uh, some of whom became close friends of mine. Um, so yeah, it was a... Uh, it was a great project and um, I'm very glad to not be doing it anymore because I always felt guilty that I wasn't spending more time on it. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm glad that it had the time that it did, you know. Steve chose the name. It's um, it's a pedagogic uh, composition is what it's based on, which I think was also derived then from a Gertrude Stein essay. But yeah, no, it was a it was a cool period of time. Like I said, uh, met lots of folks that way, and some of my now closest friends were it was through that. Um, so turned out to be a pretty cool, pretty cool thing. I started Girl Diagonals in 2016. So it was at the tail end or yeah, it, it was like the, the latter part of my last year of grad school that I started. And then uh, I had a brief stint where I lived back at home in the Bay Area and then I moved to LA. Um, so yeah, I think it's been, it's been seven and a half years or so since I've been working. Wow. Um, on this project. 
Yeah, so I mean, I just started doing musical theater when I was a kid. There was like an after school program that my mom enrolled me in when I was like seven and doing just like, you know, horrendous children's uh, musical renditions of Bye Bye Birdie and Mary Poppins and what have you. And, um, you know, but it, it quickly became apparent that um, I like was a singer and I got cast as Glenda the Good Witch in The Wiz, which is really funny because nice. like um, my school was like primarily white and Asian, but you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had this solo and I think I was 10 or 11 at the time when I sang it and everybody was just like, whoa, <laughs> you can sing, what the hell? And I was like, yeah, I've been singing. And um, at that point, um, my uh, also my, my fourth grade teacher was a pianist and she, she would play and um, have us sing. And she, she realized that um, I, was a, I was a singer and um, she, she encouraged my mom as well. And, and so I was enrolled in voice lessons at that time and took voice lessons uh, from ages, ages 11 to 18 and uh, went through a couple different voice teachers. My second voice teacher was like a very serious, um, both of them actually had been very serious opera singers. And, um, but it, it was really like at the behest of the second one who was like, you need to be singing opera. You have the voice for it. I know of this like teen opera company, um, the only one in the world. And I think you should try out. And um, I did and I got in. And, and so I was doing that for a couple of years. And all the while, you know, doing like school musical theater or community musical theater. Um, some straight theater too. Um, and and then uh, my parents also enrolled me in piano and guitar lessons. And I started writing songs when I was like 12 or 13 and started a songwriters club at my high school with my friend and was performing my, you know, original songs there. So... Um, yeah, I was a really serious singer for quite a long time. I was, I was doing jazz standards, doing just basically anything that was available, available to me. You know, I grew up in a small town, but I lived in the Bay Area. So there was quite a bit um, to access. And once I got my driver's license, I could, I could take myself to everything, which my mom was really happy about. So, so yeah, I was, I was really serious about it um, for, you know, a good seven years. And then just kind of was like, I'm kind of done with this. I'm actually mm -hmm. not very interested in continuing in the classical world and um, took a pause for a while. So yeah, that's kind of the history there. So how did, what, what do you think you've carried from, you know, your earlier training in terms of your relationship to your voice as an instrument? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, it's not entirely true. I do have, there are some songs in my discography where there are lyrics, um, but it's it's definitely not, it's not like the central focus point. Um, but I think the sort of range in which I use my voice as an instrument and the way that I, w I was pushed by various people who were mentors of mine, um, you know, as a youth, uh, in terms of like, no, you can do this. I, I think that definitely has carried forward in terms of um, 
kind of just like putting on a persona, uh, even if you, you don't feel like that's who you are at that moment. Um, there's a way of kind of channeling, channeling that and channeling that style. And, um, so so yeah, I think like as a kind of like timbral quality and, and like, uh, uh, a stylistic quality like the, those are kind of the things that that lasted for me and then, and then I think also compositionally I, I have drawn a lot from classical composition in terms of different movements and and kind of like building tension like I think I, I understand those concepts of like how to kind of build tension and release and have sparseness and and minimalism and and, and to really just like evoke different compositional tools to, to kind of get what I want. So I think that that was definitely uh, acquired through my, my training in classical music in particular. I've lost every semblance of, of any of my instrumental training. Hmm. <laughs> so I just said there's a keyboard behind you. So you're just I mean, using it as a MIDI. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like I know basic music theory and I understand chords and things of that nature. And sometimes it's just easier to compose that way. But yeah, I mean, I don't I don't play live. I'm not like, like on yeah. the keys live. Um, I'm just triggering stuff and doing sends and yeah, so. No, I, I, I wish that I had those kind of chops, though, where I could just kind of pull it out if I needed to, especially if something goes wrong. That's always my concern. It's like, well, what do I do if something goes wrong? I'm a computer musician, you know, like... It's so boring because it, it has to be uh, because the weight restrictions on the flights in, in Europe are just like preposterous. So um, I've, I've boiled it down very intentionally to just my laptop, my sound card, an iPad, a microphone. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So I'm even, I'm running visuals off of the same laptop that I'm performing off of. And, you know, I'm just using Ableton. And then I got Borderlands granular app on my iPad, which is great. And that's just, I have a couple sections where I go out there and do that. So yeah, it's very compact. It's very efficient. Um, I've got, oh, and then of course I got my Ableton push, but mm-hmm. so yeah, I've just got effects sends and triggers and that's about it, you know? Um, it's pretty, pretty boring, pretty boring stuff. Um, <laughs> It's just the processing that's happening. Like that's where all the magic's happening. So just to, I, I've had to come up with all these ways of conserving like my processing power as well so that my computer right. doesn't start crashing. So it's basically just like using stems. Um, so I have stems and I'll, and I'll trigger them in various which ways. And then I have like a few effects sends um, that I, that I'll you know send those stems out to as needed, and it, mostly it's my voice that I'm sending to the effects. But yeah, so it's, it's basically just kind of like triggering as I see fit uh, in many instances. And the the vestigial mythology remix that I did 
is actually like through the Borderlands granular app. So it's like, it's just stems that I have in a session there. And then I've got all these different LFOs controlling like panning and and and, and the granules that it's grabbing and, um, and like scanning through the file. So um, there's a lot of like automation and, and so, so yeah, like the, the liveness of it is like just when I decide to trigger it and when I'm sending it to different effects and then me singing. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, otherwise it's, it's kind of controlled. I'm not, I'm not generating sounds other than my singing. I'm, I'm just triggering things that are already prepared. It just makes it a little less chaotic for my computer. So it's not sweating too much. Um, cause especially cause I got the visuals going on too. So I got really, are those like totally different practices for, for you or are they, you drawing on a similar sort of, I want the process to be more closely aligned. And that's one of my goals for this year. Once I've like gotten back from tours, I want to start actually creating more, um, video myself, like actually like going out and filming things, um, with my camera and, but as of right now, I'm not doing that. So it's more akin to just like synthesis at this point. So in terms of the process, it is like, it's a little more in the box. And, and yeah, I would like it to be more closely aligned. Although I do think it is like, it has my own flavor to it. It does feel like it's very much me and my aesthetic and my art, but I, I think there's a way that I can push it more. I think it's it's been, it, it started as an afterthought and now it's like, oh, well this, it has to be there. It's integral. So, so yeah, it's just generated through different um, video synthesis techniques and um, effects processors and nothing too crazy. And, and I've just been kind of like reusing pre-recorded segments that I had created like on um, Lumen, which is a video synthesis app. And then um, cobbling that together and with with other pre-recorded things, and then like I got this um, Max Rely device called Brain Candy, and then I was uh, processing, doing effects processing that way, and and syncing it with my set. Mm. Um, so, yeah, yeah, but but yeah, that's a that's a future project. As I as I would like it to be more like bespoke. Um, Unless, like, have less of like a generic. This could be kind of any video artist feel. So mm-hmm. yeah, I wanted to be closer to like my music style as well, where it's like, oh, this is Megan, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So getting there. So I just did like a a live recording from my record release show in March and uh, it sounded great. So I just touched it up a little bit and then I just released like a a single as part of that as well, which is just an uh, alternative remixed version of Vestigial Mythology, which is one of the singles from Fractured Hole, uh, which came out in March. Um, So yeah, it was just kind of like a nice little little extra something to give to people and uh but yeah i'm also working on right now a track for a compilation that i don't think i can give out the details to just yet but um that's 
That'll be on vinyl, so I think it'll be a while before anybody hears about that one. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so that's that's what's going on new music wise. But uh, now I'm just in like tour preparation mode. I have like my live set, but in Europe they want you to play for like an hour. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I've never played for any longer than 40 minutes before, so I'm just like, okay, like I have to sit down and I have to tack some stuff on and, and resurrect some some things. And I've been doing these like medleys of my material and just kind of like grabbing things from like 2019, grabbing things from 2021, grabbing things from this year, and then just like kind of like mashing them up. So that's been a nice way to kind of like reinterpret the material and make it fresh and, and make it so that I always want to make it worthwhile to see me as opposed to just being like, well, I got to just listen to the record at home. So. made a music video and and, you know and this is where um the music theater you know i I can't say i hear it in in the music necessarily like maybe some tonal stuff but like you loving the spotlight i was like okay i get that i get like that that trajectory makes sense right like there's something to that like you're like you're comfortable in the center stage right yeah yeah for sure yeah it was my very first time doing anything of that sort. I had been envisioning it for probably like a year and a half. Um, Since I wrote the track, I was like, oh yeah, we've got to do something with this. And um, I was like, and I need to dance in it. And I haven't done that um, in a long time. And I hired a choreographer and um, I had this vision and, and, and we, we executed it. And I think it, it really came out so well. And I'm, I'm so happy with that video and but I had this like paralysis before we were like filming I was having like a panic attack the week before where I was just like fuck like I don't know if I can do this like what if I just get up there and I like don't look good on camera or like I don't know how to like move my body and like I look awkward or something and I just like it had been so long since I had presented myself in that way that I, I just like totally forgot that I actually, I could really do it and I, and I could turn it on and, and just go. And, um, you know, I did the dance probably like 14 times that day and it was like, you know, intensive. And, um, everybody on the crew was like, I can't believe you just did that. Like that was, you didn't take like a break. Like you just like did it. I was like, yeah, I guess I forgot that I'm a performer. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I mean, there's certainly two different modes of thinking because uh, the way that I've been composing for the last two years has been using only my voice in in 
like everything. I mean, I think I, I put out uh, a, a single in December as part of a compilation. Um, it was an industrial coast compilation. And I think I used like a synthesis, like in a like synthesized sound in there that mm-hmm. wasn't my voice. And I was like, ooh, like that was daring, you know, because um, I've only been using my voice for like two years. And um, that was a very intentional choice. And now I'm like, kind of just like, okay, now what? But I'm, and I'm still very comfortable in that space, but um, clearly that makes it so that the performance side of that recorded material can be very challenging to replicate and, and to, to interpret. So it has kind of forced me to put on this different arranger's hat um, when I am preparing for these live sets. And that's why I've come up with this kind of like, okay, like this is just going to be like reinterpretation uh, of the material. It's not going to be like, uh, you know, part for part. Um, although there are some, there are some where I'm just kind of doing karaoke because mm-hmm. um, I'm singing quite a bit on that track, but there's others where it's more sparse and it's more textural. And, and so there's a lot more reinterpretation. Um I had seen Andy, I've seen Andy Stott play like a couple times before. I think the last time I saw him was in 2015 or 2016 when I lived in Seattle. And I noticed that he was doing that. He was like, there were elements from, from songs of his that I, that I recognized and and he would just drop them in and then, you know, but it was like, oh, well, that's not that track. And I was like, oh, that's a really clever way of doing it. That's a very like kind of DJ minded Mm -hmm way of blending things and and I do have a background in DJing as well so I, I kind of just like stored that away as something that I might do myself in the future so it's it's turned into that and it's kind of nice to like have this more uh a objective view of the material and just mm-hmm. to be like oh well these go together and these go together and you know these are in the same key or like you know, let's grab these drums from here and and see how it sounds over this like textural pad. And um, yeah, so that's kind of the two minds that sometimes are melded and sometimes have to be very separate depending on what the occasion calls for. So I had this project going for a few years where um, when I lived in the Northwest, I would just kind of like research and and look up different, like kind of like abandoned, like, you know, for lack of a better word, like ghost towns. Um, So like mining towns, logging towns, things of that nature that just fell into disrepair. And um, a lot of them in in the Cascades and um, that, just became like a project of mine and I, and I would go to these places that were kind of just like abandoned industrial sites and like a concrete factory or like a railroad tunnel or, um, you know, a, a mine like in the mountains. And, and those were just like places that I was really drawn to. And, and I started just taking photos and, and field recordings of those places. And, um, and like kind of like activating the space. So like hitting things and throwing things and singing in the space and and doing things to kind of just like bring out the resonant qualities there. Um, 
and I also like, I've spoken about this before, but I grew up in Alameda, California, which is like a former naval base mm-hmm. as well. So I went, I, I would go there a lot when I was like a teenager and, and just like, you know, be a teenager um, and like break into things and, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it was just sort of imprinted on me at an early age and, and I would go seeking out those places again um, as I got older and, um, yeah, I just I, I just thought that there was such like an interesting quality to those spaces, and um, and I wanted to kind of like represent that in the best way that I could. So so that was very much um, the basis behind disambiguation, and um, that's why you get like those like really forlorn like distant passages. That it's like it's very much just trying to replicate those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. I was using modular still and I was, you know, yeah, using like, um, DAW synthesis tools. So yeah, no, uh, fractured hole was like a, a big departure in that regard. So what led you to, um, gear acquisition syndrome and, okay. <laughs> uh, decision paralysis that, you know, came from that, um, where I was just like, fuck, like I live in such a small space and like, I have had to, create all this like uh, you know I sacrifice different aspects of, of my belongings and um, to make room for all this gear and um, I'm not even really using all of it and uh, this is it just kind of feels like I keep reaching for the next thing thinking the next thing is going to solve my problem and it was like you know I was just getting into that like paralysis mode where I was just like well, I'm not even making anything because I'm just like waiting for something to like be exactly what I want it to be. And it just forced me in a way to kind of like, it forced me to become a better producer because then I I wasn't relying upon all these um, different tools or or sound sources to to kind of like make a cool effect. I'd have to be like, okay, I kind of want to make something that sounds like a bass synth or like a hi-hat. So like, how do I do that with my voice? Um, and, and so I'd have to like, I'd kind of like research things or like, I, I don't know, try to go into like forums and be like, okay, like what things would I manipulate? Didn't get a lot of like help that way, but so there's just a lot of experimentation to just be like, okay, like, let's see, let's see. And, and I had a lot of tools already and, and then, you know, ended, ended up working out pretty well. So and sometimes it wasn't that explicit either where I was like, oh, I'm trying to like emulate an instrument. I like, But there were times where it was. But, um, you know, by and large, it, it was more like, no, I just need something in this range. And 
um, I need it to be more textural or I need it to be more like, you know, beautiful or clear. But yeah, there, there were times where I was like, I want this to sound like a snare or whatever. <laughs> and mm-hmm. how do I do that with, with my voice? So, so yeah, it really did. Um, it pushed me and to evolve as a producer. you see yourself making a record without your voice at all like would you ever go the, the the other way i think that would be an interesting challenge to see if um i could still make something that was uniquely in my style um because it is so tied up in my voice um so yeah i mean i think that could be an interesting prompt so maybe but it's like it's like my like kind of like I don't know. It just feels like my golden ticket, you know, just to be mm-hmm. like, but I can sing <laughs> that grabs people. So I think it's like, but yeah, I mean, it, certainly it would be a challenge to be like, okay, can I still make interesting music without this? So. But I appreciate that you pointed out, like, I, I think as, as tends to happen a lot is that there's like a, there can be a glossing over of the fact that I'm also a producer and I'm also like an accomplished producer. And, um, it's like, yeah, like you mentioned, like it's my image is so much associated with, with my work and, um, and my voice. And it's so very personal in that regard that sometimes I feel that that aspect gets glossed over and I'm like, yeah, but what about the sound design? Like, you know, like, well, those were interesting choices, right? Like, it's not just like pretty. Um, so yeah, I, I appreciate you you pointing that out um, can be disappointing sometimes to have that that aspect ignored I, I, I really liked the review I thought it was thematically one of the more kind of like um, it, it delved more into the, to the themes uh, <laughs> of, of the album um, whereas I think others like didn't really touch on that so I, I thought that was cool like it explored it more from that angle so I really appreciated that piece of writing. And the voice is so tied up with like the body, which I think is why it gets gendered in that way. The, the voice as a self-proclaimed feminist and, you know, someone who worked on many, many women and has the gendered aspect relate to your relationship with your voice as an artist. Yeah, no, that's a really thoughtful thing to, to pull out. I think, um, it's complicated and um, there's still, uh, and I alluded to this earlier, there's still like a lot of ways I think that people talk about my work that um, really, really doesn't appreciate like the, the artistry or the production value behind it. And that can be really frustrating where it's like, you know, someone will write a review and they're like, oh, it's, it's so beautiful or it's so angelic. And I'm like, yeah, but it's also actually not. It's like really intense, like <laughs> and like really like um, quite visceral and um, and devastating. And and I think there are ways in which like there's still quite a quite a lot of gendered writing about my work that um, 
is yes, like it's tied to the fact that my image is associated. It's a tied uh, that that I look ve- I look very I present very feminine. You know, my voice has such a like classical kind of like feminine tone to it as well. Um, whatever the fuck that means, but um, you know, it's coded. It's coded feminine, and um, there there are times where it's really frustrating. And I think like subtle ways that people don't even realize that they're talking about it where you're just like, man, that sucks. Or like, you know, getting compared to somebody who's like totally not at all like you um, just because they're a singer and Mm -hmm. you're just like, this is so like this this misogyny, you know, like it's, it's so like, it's, it's so underhanded, but it's like, really, you're going to put me in that category. Like that's, that's not even a little bit like what I do. And and I, and I, you know, I'm not trying to like shit on music journalism or music journalists or, or anything of that nature. I mean, obviously like the industry is like so different and difficult now um, for everybody involved in the music industry. And actually overwhelmingly the writing about my work is is very intentional and very um, smart and, and very intelligent. Um, but every once in a while, something will crop up where I'm just like, yeah, there is still like this sort of like pervasive issue with the way in which like we talk about women um, and, and particularly like we have like singers and um, where, where, yeah, it's like everything else kind of gets like pushed to the side, which is why I like to introduce myself usually as a multimedia artist. Um, and, you know, but I go back and forth about it where I'm like, oh, does vocalist go first and then produce or is a multimedia artist and, you know, producer, like, I don't know. And, and I've, experimented with ways of trying to call those different roles out and like to the extent where it starts to get really redundant and goofy like the the, like the post that I made about the album that I uh, put out yesterday it was like composed arranged produced performed mixed and mastered and it was just like what do I gotta I mean but it's like I feel like I have to it's like a compulsion Mm -hmm. to be like hey I'm not just fucking singing (laughs) just remember that (laughs) You know, I feel like it's problematic even like, and I do it to myself too, but it's like, I'm like, oh, hashtag female vocals. And I'm like, ugh, I like, I hate that. Um, I hate that that's like a a genre or that's like a a thing that people, people want or seek out, you know? And um, it, 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 yeah, it's, it, it it has this like um, object type quality to it and like, you know, to the extent that there was like, do you remember that there was like a viral video a few years ago of this like plug-in suite that was made and it was like sampling a bunch of women's voices and it was really fucking corny and goofy. Um, it's called Realivox Ladies. <laughs> okay. Now, normally I would use the ladies as solo vocals, but I really like playing with this polyphonic legato, which you just heard, as well as the ability to stack singers all in one instance. In this case, we have Cheryl, Patty, Julie, Tony, another Tony, and then one more Julie. So cursed. And uh, everybody was like dunking on it for a good reason. But, you know, just even that concept of like, there's an entire um, plug-in suite that you can purchase that is just of women's voices. And um, it's like, you know, this disembodied kind of form. And um, it's it, it's this... Uh, yeah, it's just kind of used as as uh, an anonymous 
flourish uh, on mm-hmm. music and, and and that is definitely there's a there's a history of that and mm-hmm. um so i think in a way the way that i've decided to uh very intentionally associate my uh my myself my my personality my my persona my um my my image with my voice is, is a way of kind of just being like hey like these are not disembodied forms like i'm not just like a sample pack um mm-hmm. to to make your track sound better you know like I, I i there's there's a body here there's like um there's something behind this so what's the gendered version of colorblindness yeah no i appreciate it i've never really gotten to speak so directly on that it's something i talk to friends of mine about who are other uh vocalists and kind of always trying to make sense of it in a way or just be like is it fucked up that i like have this picture of me looking hot like you know like you know like we're always kind of having those conversations with ourselves where it it's like well we wouldn't even have to think about this like if we were dude you know and it's like yeah it's unfortunately even within like experimental music like there's a pressure there to kind of like look a certain way in order to be palatable like to an audience that's primarily male you know <laughs> like there's you get way better engagement when there's a photo of you and like I did think about that like with my album art where I was like I feel like it should have my face on it because like I know that it will get more engagement and it's like kind of fucked up that I reverse engineered it in that way but and that wasn't the only reason but it was like mm-hmm. one of the reasons you know so Well, and so you're going to Europe. It's totally DIY. It has been a grueling process to try to arrange for that while I was still working, um, uh, managing all the details, setting everything up. It's it's a lot of work to do when you don't mm-hmm. have a booking agent. So, um, yeah, I think it's it'll be very interesting. I, I have no idea if anybody will even come. Um, <laughs> Like, do I even have an audience in any of these places? Guess we'll find out. Um, but somebody had faith in me, so. Bye.
No? Okay. <laughs>